welcome. I am so glad you're here. I'm your host, Meg Berryman, and you are listening to the Beyond Being Well podcast, a show dedicated to helping women leaders like you take your wellness journey to your wholeness journey and beyond. Join me as we explore relationships, work, money, health, and purpose, and interview the best of the best in women's empowerment so that you can love deeply, expand fully, and contribute to a better tomorrow. So let's get cozy, settle in, and dive straight into the magic. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. It's been a little while since I released an episode and that is because I've been tilting heavily into teaching and launching my latest program, Lead Her, and just being a mama. And so this episode has been a long time coming. I recorded it a couple of months ago now and I've been so looking forward to sharing it with you. Before I dive into today's guest, I just wanted to let you know that this season is coming to a close of the podcast and it will be being relaunched um, later in the year under a different name. And so in the next episode of the podcast, I share all about what's happening there and some of my lessons from this year and this season from all the wonderful guests that we've had, including this one. And I also wanted to share that on Saturday, we kicked off the Lead Her program, which is a 16-week self-empowerment for social leadership deep dive. Um, And the women that have stepped into that are next level in terms of their self-responsibility, their courage, their support for each other. And I'm so excited about what we're going to co-create along with the incredible guest mentors that we have lined up. This program is for the socially curious among us, those who are wanting to put the we in wellness and really take all of the scaffolding of our inner work in order to step more fully into social leadership, whether that be in our families, in our communities or in our workplaces. And so even though we've had one lecture, there's still space to join. And if this is a whole body yes for you, then hit me um, up via email, meg at beyondbeingwell.com or via Instagram and let's get you in the program. Now, today's guest is Nicole Perry and she hails from Edmonton, Canada And I always feel so connected to our Canadian sisters and all that they're doing in the world because I feel like fundamentally we share a lot of values. Um, And so Nicole is a registered psychologist and she's got a general private practice in Edmonton. Her approach is collaborative and feminist at heart. She believes in helping clients rediscover their wisdom and strength that lies within them. She believes in seeing problems within their context and in being a non-judgmental advocate and support. She specializes in abuse, trauma, and burnout. And we talk a lot about all three of those areas within this podcast. Um, And she uses a range of therapy modalities, including mindfulness-based therapy, art therapy, and group therapy. She is an introvert, um, but she loves reading and travel 
and she just has so much wisdom for those among us who want a different kind of framework to think about our inner work, one that's more holistic, one that's fundamentally feminist and social justice oriented, and one that kind of sees our strengths and resilience as opposed to our weaknesses. I'm sure you're going to love this podcast and I will chat to you soon. Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Nicole, I came across your work, uh, been following you on Instagram for a while and it was funny because when I came across you, I was having this conversation with another business friend around the use of the word feminist in, in my um, profile and mm. I was really like, yeah, of course, I, of course I'm going to use that word. And then when I reached out to you, I just so appreciated it because you wrote back and you said, I just want to be clear that we're on the same page around feminism and what it is because, as we know, there's so many different <laughs> meanings now and there's and there's actually so many different projections onto that word and I just so appreciated that pause and that depth that you took to establish that and the conversation that we had thereafter Um, and so I knew that this conversation was going to be deep and rich and it just reiterated how happy I was that you were coming on the podcast so (laughs) thank you for that but I I wanted to start with the question that I ask all the guests and that is What is the change that you want to see in the world and what part are you playing in that? Ooh, what a great question. Um, Well, I think a lot of the work that that I'm doing is about inviting people to have a better relationship with their bodies, um, a closer relationship with their bodies where they're learning how to um, listen to themselves again. Um, and, um, well, sort of, you know, find some way in their lives of, um, not only listening, but then, um, honoring whatever comes up for them. Um, so I feel like if more of us can be listening to our bodies and honoring what comes up, that would be an amazing change. Mm. And what do you think that like, that would bring about in a broader society, say, of people who did have that closer relationship with their bodies, like from the individual work that you've seen, how do you reckon that would translate more broadly? Um, so one of the ways that I'm watching it's it's helping people is um, that as they're listening to themselves, they're better able to um, then assist helping they're able to actually do um so that um so I work with a lot of people who are um doing like social justice work or they're in helping helping professions um so when they're better able to notice like oh I'm starting to get burnt out um or this is too much for me and they can slow down before um they actually do hit their limit um then it feels like they're doing more sustainable work. Um, and so ultimately I kind of hope that I'm meeting people, um, you know, before, 
um, before they hit that edge and that my, my work with them is kind of having this ripple effect. Like I can help people keep doing sustainable work and then they're doing good work out in the world. Um, and then the work that we're doing together is having more impact on society, um, over the long haul. Mm, I love that. And I, I definitely share that passion of working, um, of working with people in, in helping sectors and really catalyzing them, helping them, empowering them, you know, to just do the incredible work that they're doing. I wonder, so you're calling from, is it Edmonton, Canada this morning or afternoon? Yeah. 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 And did you grow up Afternoon there? for me. <laughs> did you grow up there and like, how did you come to, to get into therapy? Um, yes, I was born here and I've spent most of my life here. Um, I knew very early on that I wanted to be a therapist. Um, and so, um, yeah, what can I say about that? Um, um, I think it was from that place of, of kind of wanting to be a help to, to friends, like sort of be in that listening role. And, um, later on in my life, it was, um, wanting to see a change in bigger issues and knowing as a, as a quieter person, um, that the best place that I felt I could do that was in one-on-one conversations, um, I'm not the person at the front of the the march, um, but I am that person kind of quietly behind having um, um, soft conversations with people and help supporting them as they process the things that come up for them as they, um, you know, face emotional work and, and face injustice and work through the hard things that we all have to face in this difficult world that we're trying to navigate right now. Mm. I love that. I I saw on your website that are you an INFT? Like, what's your Myers Briggs type again? Oh my gosh, it's been so long. Um, I think it was like yeah, INFT. introverted. You're yeah. INF something. Um, I, INFJ. Yeah. INFJ. Yeah. yeah. And I'm very similar, but I'm an E. And so I was like, oh, we're like two sides of the same coin. <laughs> I love that. But you but you raise yeah. a really good point about leadership because. I talk a lot about social leadership and how um, my work is really about removing the barriers to us just innately leading because we are in our lives, in our families, in our peers, in our communities. And I think, you know, like the work that you do, removing the blockages to us relating to ourselves and seeing ourselves in that way is um, really important part of this bigger work that we're all I think working towards um, a kind of you know more equitable sustainable world but you raise a good point that leadership I always say is is not necessarily about the person leading the march like that leaders Mm. are just as much people like you who identify as introverted and who are quietly working with people and alchemizing stuff for them and and helping them empowering them to work through it themselves and so I just really thank you for bringing that up um and for sharing your introvertedness even like coming on the podcast (laughs) that's really wonderful and 
Oh, I'm glad. It's, it's actually something I'm I'm sharing with um, my clients a lot of the times too, because many of them, um, whether it's like social anxiety, just quietness, um, or a whole host of other reasons, are also not the ones leading the march, mm. um, and 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 they feel guilty about it yeah. or ashamed. Um, and I want to remind them, like we all have a place in this. Um, and so, yeah, rather than, um, you know, getting lost in the shame of that, um, to really listen to ourselves and our own limits and okay. Yeah. Like if we can, instead of push ourselves to do something that feels so, um, so overwhelming, um, to find like what would be a fit for me. Mm -hmm. And so listen to that part of ourselves that does want to do something that does want to, um, so it's like listening to the different parts, the part that says this is too much, Mm -hmm. but also listening to the part that says, I want to, uh, you know, I want to find some way to address, um, this part that says what's happening in the world isn't okay. I love that. Um, I, I love it so much because it's just what I've been banging on about for years. And it's so, um, to me, I think, you know, we're, we're living in a world where on Instagram you're seeing leaders who are shouting like and that's what we presume we need to be doing. Like we even even myself, like I'm having a break from, from social media right now because I find myself getting into other people's lanes a lot, right? Like I find myself just hmm. joining causes and like starting to even my voice changes and the writing changes because we're seeing like people who are not only like suddenly we're comparing ourselves not with 200 people, which is, you know, the family groups that we lived in, but we're comparing ourselves with billions of people. We're also comparing ourselves with billions of people who are curating their feeds. And so it's not realistic, you know, for us to compare ourselves. And I love that of like finding, for me, it's like finding the place where energy is flowing and going there, like Mm. the path of least resistance instead of like presuming that to be a leader and to change the world that we need to be a certain way and and look a certain way or like take on all the issues. I think it's like taking on the issues that we've been deeply moved by in our lives and, and working through them internally so that that creates a change. And I know that that's kind of what you do as well. Yeah. And and it sometimes takes, um, like kind of a small pause, um, to figure out what that, that path or, um, how did you put it? This sort of flow is for us when it's so, yeah, so easily we could get just swept into someone else's, um, flow or swept into what they're doing. Um, Oh, here's the emergency that's going on, or here's the right way to do things on social media. Um, everything feels urgent and you just are go, you're swept up in it. Um, so I'm often encouraging people like to, you know, take that small pause and, and to really check like, okay, is this my urgency? Is this my flow that's going in that direction? Um, or, or, or maybe it's not a fit. Mm. I think it's, I think it's also, um, just one of those things where if we do take that pause and do take the time to kind of go within 
that's also the most scary, right? I think what I see a lot mm. is like an unwillingness to go to the wounding and to, to understand that that's maybe the medicine that we're here to, to, to have. And so it's easy to see someone in the world and like, and I've certainly done it a lot, like attached to their movement or attached to their voice and be like, I want to help your thing, which is totally fine as well. But I'm also interested mm-hmm. in like these micro movements. You know, I know that you work with a lot of diverse clients and I really want to like dive more deep into kind of liberation work and the social justice work you do like within bodies, within people. And I wonder whether you can talk to that a little bit um, about that process of the individual work also having kind of been reflective of the context. Sure. Can you ask me that question one more time? I was following along. I didn't. Yeah. I, I did ask it quite um, poorly. So apologies for that. I guess because I want you to just go to town on this. Um, so you know the work that you do with individuals in terms of understanding trauma, in terms of understanding why they feel the way they do. You know, I know you work somatically as well, which I'm a big fan of. Yeah, and just working with that felt sense of like not enoughness or whatever and then just explaining maybe the relationship with that felt sense and the broader context and then how you help them understand like those kind of intersection like the intersectional framework I guess that why they might feel like that gosh I feel like I could say so much so feel free to take me on any of these tangents sure um so, so I um, use somatic experiencing. Um, I've d- I've done the beginner and intermediate um, training. So this is a type of just for anyone listening who's not familiar with it. This is a type of trauma therapy um, developed by Peter Levine. Um, that that is a body based therapy um, where it's all about. Um, you know, sort of putting away, um, the story of what happened and listening to how the body's holding the experience of what happened. And then as you go into slowly and safely, the body's experiences of what happened, um, giving enough room, um, within that safe container to, to process, um, any activation that the body might be holding on to. Um, hopefully that makes sense so far. Yeah. Um, and then, um, so I'm, I'm often working from a perspective where I believe, okay, uh, most of my clients have been through some experiences of trauma. Um, I'm working, um, you know, with understanding that that might be, um, in their families of origin. Um, it might be through experiences of oppression, um, out in the world. Um, so, um, this could end up being quite complex layers of trauma that come up in their bodies as we're moving through this. Um, and so we go in, um, we process those pieces and the idea is that then, uh, over time, they're not carrying so much activation inside. Um, and they're a little bit more, uh, free to move through the world with life energy, 
um, with, uh, you know, a little bit less weighed down, um, by the things that have happened to them. Um, so yeah, I'll let you, let me take me on any tangent you want from what I've said there. (laughs) I just, I mean, I love, I love Peter's work and like for me personally, CBT and talk therapy only could do so much for me. Like it just, there was a point that I hit where I rationally understood the reasons for my behavior and the way that I felt. And yet I still felt you know, and I think that that's where yes. somatic experiencing just completely, and, you know, I'm doing this work, like, as we speak, you know, I'm doing this work at the moment, and it's just completely, you use the beautiful term, like, lifted the weight, it really has, um, and I mm-hmm. had no idea that, like, I had been, like I knew that there was trauma, but I but I didn't know the extent of it because, of course, you don't. <laughs> and I just, yeah. yeah, I just think this work, like you're so modest when you talk about the change that you're making in the world because for me this work is like has the potential to change the world because when we're <laughs> in our bodies we don't hurt people. Like we, yeah. when we've moved through that, we don't replicate the cycles anymore. And in my mm-hmm. own life, particularly as a parent who's now done the work on trauma, there are things that like stop with me that have been in our family for generations. And I think that's why it's mm-hmm. so incredibly powerful. I wanted to go to this idea of linking this with social justice and so you mentioned that clients come to you with a range of experiences and that the traumas can come from both their own family of origin as well as society. I wonder whether you could like take us through an example of some, just so people can understand the idea of intersectionality for starters, but also like how that intersects with trauma and how that intersects with someone's felt experience in the world in order for us to just a own our own privilege a little bit, but also to see how these things start to layer on top of each other and therefore affect like someone's life choices in the world, someone's behaviors, someone's um, experience. Is that too broad or can you go from that? I think so. Um, like I'm just thinking about um, how often working through or we think we start to work through um, one one trauma, um, you know, let's say it's something, a, an abusive relationship has been through in their adult's life. And then as we're working through that more recent experience, um, you know, then they notice or we start to recognize, oh, and this feels familiar. Hey, and we're, we're understanding that, okay, that comes from a place of, it also feels like they've been really unsafe in their childhood lives as well. Okay. And maybe they've also been made to feel unsafe in the world through experiences of, of racism, um, in some cases, it's been really overt, and in some cases, it's been more insidious types of racism um, or fat phobia. I've had lots of clients 
Um, I'm also working with a lot of clients who um, have chronic health um, issues or chronic pain issues um, and are trying to just navigate the world, um, but often made to feel ashamed of that. And so as we're working through um, parts of the trauma that link into shame, shame about their disability will come up. Um, and so it's like, just as you work through one piece, okay, here it connects to another, to another, to another. Um, and so it's never, it never ends up being, oh yeah, here's that one simple thing. It's like, oh, it's just a car accident. Hey, that's it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, um, down the rabbit you know, piece after, yeah, absolutely. Piece after piece after piece. And, and what I'm often left saying to people is like, you know, something along the lines of look how resilient you are. Mm. Um, you made it so far as you did. Um, and I think people have come up with incredible adaptations. You know, they, they built a stone wall to get them through mm. or they figured out, um, I'll just sit on this money pile so I can survive. Mm. You know, that's what I need to do to get through here. Um, they come up with all sorts of ways to, or, you know, um, I won't depend on anyone else, um, because I can't count on anyone. Mm. Um, and they really learned that as kids and it helped them adapt to those circumstances where they could not rely on anyone. So I'll say to them, you know, I'm so sorry that there actually wasn't a competent adult around to, um, rely on that. No one did protect you. That was so wrong. Um, and then, you know, and, and now maybe things are different and, and we have to work through this new reality where it's possible they do have some people in their lives that are willing to show up. Mm. I, I could just listen to you talk about this stuff all day. I find it so fascinating <laughs> because, because what you're saying is, is really profound in that, that we think that trauma comes from like well there's so many miss like misguided notions of trauma I, I find anyway and I myself was really resistant to that label for a really long time and I didn't do the work for a really long time because well it was probably resistance <laughs> but that's fine um but yeah but I think what you're saying is you know the trauma is is not the event but it's the response and then you're also saying that we can be traumatized within systems, right? Within patriarchy mm-hmm. or capitalism. I think I think many of our generation are completely traumatized by capitalism in some way. And that those interconnections between all of those trauma like micro traumas or microaggressions or whatever they are really start to layer, do they? Do they start to like compound? Yes, absolutely. Time after time, feeling like they weren't believed. And I, I do appreciate you pointing out the response. Mm-hmm. You know, someone can have a very um, a difficult incident, uh, even an incident of abuse. And sometimes it's what happens afterward that makes it uh, traumatic uh, or that stands out to them even more. Like, um, you know, someone who is abused or bullied and then remembers, then I reached out to my parent, you know, I reached out with my hand and they turned away Mm. or they told me it was my fault. That's the piece that when they remember, they feel so ashamed. They remember and 
you know, that they, it brings up all this activation inside and, you know, that's the piece that has left them feeling like there's something wrong with them. Mm. Um, that is them to blame for the things that have happened in their lives. And then maybe they go on to to later, um, you know, um, racism or something like this. And again, because they've got this message in their lives, it's because of what you did. It's your fault. They just take it in again. Oh yeah. Well, that's truth. It's my fault. I learned that very early on. I'm just going to keep learning it. Mm. Yeah. And I think you, you kind of touch on the point. I know you work with shame resilience and, you know, I only know that as much as the Brene Brown books I've read and, and seen her on Netflix, but perhaps you could talk to like what that work is, because it, it, I think it's very much related to that notion. Am I right of, um, of like, I'm wrong. Like I have done something I'm uh, like, or I am intrinsically wrong. Is that, is that kind of where the shame resilience? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, um, I had a, a trainer put it really well the other day. Um, he had said, um, it's a really powerful, coherent narrative. Like when we as kids, as all kids do think, well, you know, my parent can't do any wrong or my caregiver, you know, it can't be their fault, but horrible things are happening to me. Well, the only option left is, well, then it must be me who's wrong. And then that becomes the perfect explanation for everything. And as kids, we don't question that. Just there it is. That's the truth. Um, and so we take on a feeling of shame um, that becomes so powerful um, throughout our lives. So when I have a client come into the room and they might know something different in their minds or feel like, well, yeah, you know, of course that wouldn't be true for other people. But deep down inside, they feel this powerful sense of I'm wrong yeah, they've been carrying that with them for their whole lives. And, um, and so how we do you have work to work with that. Really, yeah, great, great <laughs> question. It's hard work. I'm doing a lot of heavy lifting, but um, mm. um, I'm making a joke a little bit. But um, you know, it's because we're we're working hard to um, name. Oh, this is shame that's showing up, um, to kind of hold that aside a little bit. And then bring a lot of self-compassion into the room. Mm. That's always the first place we start. Say, oh, that shame showing up. Oh, that nasty shame. You know, that was never yours. That mm. was put on you. Um, that's, what, that's what that is. That's shame. And then I usually invite them to, you know, put a hand on the heart or on their shoulder. I say, in this pain that you're in right now, this, this shame spiral, let's at least be kind to yourself. I, and I know that's hard to do for people, um, but this really hurts. So let's bring a little bit of tenderness to it. Mm, I, don't know. I just feel like I'm in therapy. It's really nice listening to your voice. <laughs> And I, but, but I like how you're actually giving the language and talking through because they think these, these themes, like if you hear someone talking about shame resilience or somatic experiencing, you're like, I can't do that. I have to go to a therapist. I have to. And, you know, that's always recommended, especially where the activation or the trigger is really deep. But this is work that we can do within ourselves, like on a day-to-day basis, isn't it? Like to be able to bring to name it and bring compassion to it is there a practice that you like recommend for your clients or 
um, that you could maybe yes. recommend to listeners? Yeah. And, and of course, often it helps to have the support if people can access it. Um, and um, I also am often encouraging my clients, it's a practice. Mm. Um, so that means it's often something we have to keep coming back to. So when that, um, and I kind of, um, you know, I'm trying to embody it a little bit, that nasty shame, that, you know, an awful creature comes up because it really, it's not yours, right? It's not yours. It's coming up, you know, that awful shame comes up, um, and you notice it and you can name it. We want to practice self-compassion, um, so it takes a while to do, and usually it's every day. Um, and so one of the practices we can do is just a little bit of body tenderness, the hand on the heart, the hand on the shoulder, same like you would do for a friend, you know, blanket wrapped around yourself. I'm a big fan of warmth. So warm tea, um, warm bath, you know, anything like that. Um, but, um, for, for self-compassion practices, um, Kristen Neff, which, um, the name for you, um, has a number of self-compassion practices on her website that I'm often encouraging clients to try out those too, if they want something more guided, um, to do on their own. Mm. I, those recordings have just got me through like so many times, so many times because yeah. that shame voice was so deep and, and it still is. Like I remember when I was very early on in my business and I just like left my career and I sent my, I'd written like this ebook about um, self-care for carers and it's so similar mm. word to you and it was the first thing I'd ever written in, in that business and I sent it to a friend and like the tone of like the language used in feedback, like I'm, I've always been highly sensitive to feedback, which now I understand is, is it's a shame response, right? It's like a, there's only feedback is only indicating or pointing to the part within myself that thinks that I'm not worthy or good enough or whatever. And so um, I'm getting better at that. But yeah, and I remember just going down the shame vortex, right, when I got this feedback. Mm. And this the whole body experience of that. And I remember at the time just having no words or language for it. But looking back now and, and thinking back to the other times, it's really and with the trauma work too for me, it's really a practice of like how much longer can I stay here in my body with this right like how mm -hmm. and is that is that the intention of it like is that the healing part the staying and the being compassionate to it is that what's the healing mm -hmm. well um it's it's interesting um because I, I sort of have a two-part answer mm. um Gosh, you said so much in that that I was like, oh, that's it, that's it, yes, 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 awesome, um, that I probably can't remember exactly your phrase now. But um, one of the things that I've learned about shame is we do have to work with it a bit specially. Um, and so that means we need a bit of distance from it. Um, it's such a powerful emotion that if we try to sit with it in just the same way as I would invite clients to sit with grief, um, or anger or, you know, those other types of emotions, it can kind of overtake us. 
we sit with shame and it's, oh yeah, I'm, I'm totally unworthy and this is so awful. And, and it gets us lost in the spiral a bit. Um, so sometimes the first thing we need to do is, I wish I could, you could see my hand gestures, but it's like <laughs> put a little bit of distance between us and, and the shame. Oh, there it is just a little bit over there. And then we sit with the part of us that's hurting. Um, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely, you're still sitting and, oh yeah, that hurts to be, you know, here in the room with it. Um, just with a little bit of distance. Yeah. Um, because as, um, other shame experts have said, a little bit of shame goes a long way. Yeah. It's, it's a big one. It is a big one. Like even just talking about shame, like I get the feeling in my body because it's so yeah. visceral. Like it's such a, it's such a somatic so experience. And it's, um, I think the other thing I've learned is like that little bit of distance enables like it to be whispered and spoken, you know, like it, sometimes mm -hmm. it, it, a little bit of distance is like, you find that person that you can be like, holy shit, like this just happened. And I think that is, that is why I, I, I teach circles so much because to have those safe places where we can talk about it is like really part of the healing as well. I think the relational healing, I guess. Yes. I, yeah, I love that being able to go toward being able to speak and name it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose it's true with any emotion. If we're in it and it's too overwhelming, um, then that means we're too close. Mm. And so I'm, I'm encouraging clients, you know, if it feels overwhelming, if it feels like you're in fight, flight or freeze, um, it, you know, you can take a little s step outward. Mm. Um, take that, take that bit of a step away so you can see it, um, more clearly. And that way you're sitting with it rather than sitting kind of in the muck of it, overwhelmed by it. Mm. And it's like that breath of space. And it's, it's really, um, really profound. I think again, in thinking about the impact of shame and what it, causes us to do and act and um or not act <laughs> like you talked about the shame of inaction in in the in the world at the moment and I hear that mm -hmm. a lot with the with my clients as well is like I just should be doing more like I'm just so ashamed mm. that I'm not doing more like the fucking world is ending and I'm not doing anything and it's like you think about how demotivating shame is yeah, like it just makes no sense that we think, but it's like as women, we've learned that that's like a pathway to motivation. Is that right? right? Like it just feels yeah. like when I think about it, it feels so weird. But what is that conditioning that we've learned that firstly, like I see it as that I need to shame myself into action. And secondly, I see it as like, I also need to choose the path of most resistance here. So like my therapist said, I need to do it. So I'm just going to like dive into the bag of peanuts, even though I'm like allergic <laughs> to them and just sit in it, you know, like it's this, and I do it all the time. Like I've got this real streak of like, Oh, but just get on with it. Like, what is that? Do you think? It's like that push through mentality. 
Um, if it doesn't hurt, it's not worth it. Yeah. 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 I, that definitely feels cultural. Um, and I think you and I both are, are trying to move away from that, um, mindset like that, that maybe less really is more, um, uh, you know, that, that we should, uh, or we could be aiming for the smallest amount, um, you know, which it seems to take a long time to come to that idea of, of really listening to our bodies and, and instead of waiting for them to be screaming at us to say like, Oh, you feel like you're getting to a place where you might be about done. Well, let's just stop here. Then that's mm. a respectful thing to do. Mm. It's, it's so counter um, to the things that, I mean, that, that I think my parents and all of our parents might've known and, and taught for us that I think our culture knew and taught for us, um, you know, not because they were trying to do harm per se. Um, it just, that's kind of what we knew. Yeah. It was a really the product of like that, that in like post-industrial like society was just, we're productive units and, you know, the first, second wave of feminism was, was like, was kind of preaching that as well in a way, sub mm-hmm. I think subliminally, like just do it all because you yeah. can, because we're equal. And I'm really excited that there's an emerging wave of feminists like us who are, who are talking to yes. And we don't have to, <laughs> like there's right. also choice. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. I'm going back to your original question now of like, what would the impact be if people listen to their bodies? And, and you're right. It's so much like how differently we can parent, how differently we can show up in, in our, our friendships and other types of relationships, um, how differently we can move into social change, you know, when there's not this pressure from, from trauma experiences to do it all and to do it urgently, but you know, that, that we're actually coming from that grounded place. Oh my gosh. It's just endless. It is. It makes your role just seem so no pressure, but like that. You <laughs> <laughs> but I want to know, I want to talk more about oh, so many things, but let's start with the burnout piece. Does that come from your own experience of getting to your edge or is that something you've oh, always yes. been passionate about? <laughs> oh Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know if I was as conscious about it when I was first, um, looking into burnout, but, um, yeah, I, I, I talk about it so passionately now because, um, because of the way that it's impacted my health. Um, I, I, I continued, um, I think as many of us do, um, doing that superhero thing of I'll just keep going, I'll just keep going. Um, until it got to a point where my body really was like, no, you're not going to keep going. Um, and it, it, it shut down for me. Um, so I had, um, for years gotten, gotten migraines occasionally, and it just got so bad that I was getting them every day, um, to a point that I, I couldn't work very much, um, and just dealing with this high intensity pain um, for about a year. Um, so, uh, it's been, oh, I want to say about seven years since it was that bad. Um, but I have to take a daily 
deal with chronically, never get away from. Um, so yeah, when I talk about self-care to people, I'm not talking about it like, oh yeah, if you want to, like this thing you could tack on, Mm. um, you know, as an extra, I'm like, if you don't like your body will, um, you know, it will react because we actually all have human limits. And so I'm really talking about, about listening to yourself and acting in a way that, that respects that your body is human, um, and that you can't just keep going and going and going and ignoring, um, what's happening inside because you think, um, that you're different than everyone else. It's so, it's so like great that you have that physical barometer because I think it's the hardest for me when I'm working with clients who haven't had that experience. (laughs) It's really easy. Mm. Like for me and you who have been to that brink and like can really speak to how that feels and to, to have had that wake up call, but it's harder when we haven't and the symptoms are like only mild and we can push through it or we can medicate it or whatever. I wonder, like, do you do you kind of feel like that taking care of ourselves and respecting ourselves in that way is quite a radical act of um, empowerment, like in a world that's telling women hmm. what we should do? Like, do you see that as a as a bigger thing as well? Oh, yeah. It goes against so many of the things we're taught. Like, I think some of the biggest things that that we're taught are like productivity over health mm-hmm. um, and, and others over self. Um, so when I was pushing um, beyond my limits, it was because, well, I had to accommodate um, for for doing work. I had to accommodate because someone needed something of me. Um, and maybe because of that, um, but that's what was going on. Um, and so, yeah, to, to actually really say, um, no, my health is important. Um, and I have to disappoint someone. Um, I'm going to say no to this, even though, um, you know, I'd like, or the other person would like me to say yes. That is so hard. It's going to bring up a lot of guilt. Um, and yeah, I think it's an incredibly radical, brave thing for, uh, uh, some, someone who's been socialized as a woman to do. Mm. It's So I give a lot of, a lot of celebration when someone says no, I'm like, yes. I know, (laughs) but it's also, I think the reason boundaries feel so scary. I, I heard, um, Liz D'Alto talking about this yesterday that like boundaries are a really good test of the people around you's emotional health right Mm. because how someone responds to a boundary speaks volumes to like where they're at on their own journey and has nothing to do with you and I found that I found that such a trap early on when I was like really like I'm just going to set all the boundaries and then like running over to the other person and like having the experience for them of how that boundary would be perceived. And instead of just being able to see 
that that response was just a reflection of their own lack of boundaries or their own, you know, family of origin stuff or whatever was going on. So yeah. do you have advice for like how to navigate? Like it's, it's well and good to say like set boundaries, but there's a very biological or cultured socialized thing that I think we have of like it feels really fucking physically scary to do that. Oh, yeah. To me, the the hardest part about setting boundaries is not even the initial, I'm going to tell you what I want from you and where my limits are. It's the standing in it afterward, mm. whatever the person's reaction may be. Um, so my encouragement would be to only set boundaries when you're ready to stand in them afterward. Mm -hmm. Um, like if the person is like, I'm not okay with that. And you're like, okay, I give in, mm. <laughs> um, then, you know, to really assess like, you know, am I ready? Am I ready to, um, maybe have this relationship beyond the line? Am I ready to really, you know, stick to my truth on this one? hold my ground. Um, and then when we are ready, it's a lot of self-soothing. So it's very common that when we make a change in a relationship, the other person pushes back a little bit like, Hey, I, uh, you know, I liked how things were before, like can you change back. And so if we can sort of stand in our truth and, and tolerate that this is going to be uncomfortable for a while and self-soothe, through any ways that we might have learned how to do that and remind ourselves like I can disappoint others and still be a good person I'm gonna put my hand on my heart and remind myself this is okay I'm gonna breathe um yeah that's the hardest part it's really you have a really tough job you know because it's like selling discomfort you know like it's like yes. encouraging <laughs> encouraging people to sit in this comfort but my god like the lessons yeah like for me learning that lesson of like and I still learn it like daily you know of wanting to be in the victim role and then actually being willing to face things and sit in them and know that I'm not going to die that was a really big journey mm -hmm. <laughs> because sometimes it feels yeah. like you're going to die but you said this thing before that I just want to pick up on as, as the last point because I think it's really oh. important can you hear me yeah oh cool I just thought it dropped out for a second um and that's you said um something around working more or being productive or being really busy I don't know the language that you use can be a response to trauma and I recorded this audio series earlier in the year called the year of working less and as I was recording that and going through all the things that I've learned and all the people that I've listened to and you know all, all the wisdom that I've embodied it became really apparent that most of my like overworking over productivity and that needing to like be in perpetual motion was a trauma response and I just like you just mentioned in mm. passing but I just wonder whether that's a pattern that you see and if so like how we can begin to like slow down <laughs> like how we can begin to yeah. get out of perpetual motion because I think the number one thing I see 
affecting us, you know, collectively as women identifying is, you know, this need to just do all the time. And I wonder if you can finish by sharing your thoughts on that. Um, Well, one thing I remember in the somatic experiencing training um, is they talked about um, to us how um, sometimes in our helping role, we can get busy in this um, mindset of, I have to fix things, I have to fix things, the world isn't safe. Um, And they said, that's a trauma mentality. Um, because it comes from a place of, I feel unsafe inside. Yeah. Yeah. And so when our nervous system actually settles and we feel safe and we can see the world as safe, we don't have to get so busy fixing and making things okay. Mm. Um, we can slow down enough to choose, um, you know, where we want to put our energies Um, and sure know that there's a lot of work to be done, but it doesn't feel so, um, urgent. It's not coming from such an agitated or overwhelmed kind of place. Mm. Um, it's going to feel different. And for me, it certainly did as I worked through that training. And as I worked through, um, some of what was happening in my own nervous system, I have absolutely approached um, life and helping work differently. Mm, Me too. Definitely. I just, I love that idea of fixing and it really plays out, um, the most I think in relationship, you know, I see it in myself of wanting to fix everyone else's emotional state because if there's chaos, it just replicates the chaos Mm. inside. And so I'm so keenly aware. And I think thinking back as you were talking, I think it really had to start with like being quite heavy on like pulling the reins, like before I even, like I had to make that conscious decision and choice not to do even before my system was settled. And and that was because of the health Mm. stuff, you know? And so I think there's an element of like a commitment of like this, this way is no longer working and and yeah as as we're doing the work to settle the system I think there also needs to be conscious like choice of un, of, of making new habits of not doing yeah of yeah. not doing yeah it's so hard oh my yeah. god it's just yeah oh for sure <laughs> I just, I just know that, well, especially with, um, what's happening, um, for us politically, there's, there's a lot that's going to feel urgent, Mm. um, that we want to act on. But I also, as I say to clients, like, I want to be doing this for the next 70 years. And so if I act on everything that feels urgent, it's not going to last. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to take the time and know that, that I'm in this for the long fight. Um, and that means thinking for me about where I do my most effective work, how I make my best connections, um, and finding the the best place, um, for myself, um, you know, in in the entire helping system. Mm, I love that. And part of that is staying healthy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and choosing with such intention, 
where to, the spaces with which to bring your whole self to. You know, I always see yeah. that as like the more self-care I have in my system, then and the more like deeply respectful I am of myself when I'm standing in front of someone or standing in front of a retreat or standing in front of my kid or my husband or whatever, my animals, like, or the earth, <laughs> like I am bringing that fullness like to that situation because I'm choosing not to do all the other things as well and I've such a beautiful call to action of like we want to all be doing this for the next 70 years so um so it does if it may not be as urgent as it feels right now thank you for that reminder Oh gosh. And, and, and thank you. Cause you said it in such a great way in your initial email to me, um, speaking of the whole body. Yes. You, you said, if you want to do this inter interview with me and, and if it's a whole body, yes for you. And I just loved the way you phrased that. I was like, Oh my gosh. And I, it gave me that moment to check in with myself and I thought it is a whole body. Yes. <laughs> Um, so to be able to, sh- that, you know, allows someone to show up with their whole self. Mm. Um, so anyway, that um, was really cool. That was really cool to have that invitation. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. I think we all, we all can give each other out, you know, as, until we learn better boundaries. <laughs> we, I think it's nice to like give each other out and give each other permission to be in our zone of genius and to not be outside it you know to like we talked about be in your lane and be in your flow and be in your path of least resistance and um and yeah I think we can all pass that on like pay it forward in whatever invitations we're sending out to people so I'm glad you appreciate that thank you for coming on the show and sharing all your um deep wisdom and your beautiful therapist voice which is so soothing and (laughs) I really appreciate I'm sure we could keep talking for hours but um is there somewhere that people can find out more about you like do you work worldwide or do you only work in Canada and yeah where can people find you yeah, I just see clients um, who are from Alberta, um, but I do um, write so people can visit my website, um, which is feministcounselloredmonton.com, and I'm on Instagram at this.feminist.therapist. Beautiful. Thank you, Nicole, for all your wisdom. Thanks. Thanks.